What's up, Wisecrack? This is Show Me the Meaning, Wisecrack's movie podcast. I am Michael. Today I am here with Amanda. Hey. And the one and only Lux. Yo. And we are, believe it or not, here to discuss a film called Cats. To set up some context for the film, Francis Ford Coppola was born on April 7th, 1939, and, and Cats came out on December 20th, 2019. I don't know what happened in the interim, but <laughs> those are the two pinnacles of the history of cinema for me <laughs> right now. Um, you know about the film. You've heard about the film. It stars tons of famous people. But before we get into it, let's start with you, Amanda. Okay. What are your initial thoughts about the film called Cats that actually got made in real life? It may have broken my brain. I just find myself having like wildly different thoughts. Like, you know what? I'm glad they made that because it was my weirdest movie going experience of 2019 <laughs> by far. And then sometimes I'm like, was that bad for culture? And then the thing that I really just keep getting stuck on is that this is this was until Phantom of the Opera, the most successful Broadway musical wow. of all time. And then I just kind of come back to we just fucking love cats. Like, what is it about cats? I've I've spent all morning like researching why we love cats. Do you mean lowercase C cats? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At yeah, that yeah. point. Okay, yeah. just being sure. Uppercase C is, <laughs> is yeah. The film, I guess. We we don't know how we feel about cats. Yeah. I'm I'm all over the place. Yeah. Oh, Lux, give us some insight. What are your thoughts? What were your impressions? I fucking love this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's obviously, like, their technical errors abound. The movie makes no sense. But it's, like, one of those None. things where, like, if you just give yourself over to, like, the insanity of cats, it is so much fun. <laughs> um, also, like, I mean, Miles, we put out that article on Medium that I helped Miles with about is cats better than Star Wars? And, like... Oh, boy. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's at least, like, dramatically interesting and has, like, a psychology to it, even if that psychology is, like, fully fucking nuts. And I don't know. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's obviously not good, but it's like a Rocky Horror Picture Show, the room type phenomenon. Uh, I but just typed the words Rocky Horror Picture Show in my notes as you were talking, Amanda, because it made me think of like the movie going experience. Yeah. Like when people go see Rocky Horror Picture Show, they get there, they're excited. Maybe they have some substances in them before they show up. And it seems like that's been the phenomenon with cats. That's also true about yes. going to cats. <laughs> okay, yeah. Everyone I know in L.A. who saw it was organizing a group outing that involves some sort of legal substance to, I guess, put them in the right frame of mind. We could call it their... Or the wrong. I've seen a lot of tweets of people who were a little bit too addled oh. to really take in the fine art that is cats. Well, we can get into this later, obviously, but the movie shows us the dangers of putting too much catnip in the air That's... in a performative setting. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll get into it, but let's let's do a recap for everyone. Um, and thanks to Lux for helping with this delightful recap, which means if it's good, um, thank him, everyone online. And if you hate it, it's all his fault. <laughs> um, so, 
We've all seen the headlines in the news of how someone lost their life in an act of cold-blooded murder. And while it's sad and grabs your attention, most people go on with their day without giving it another thought. But have you ever stopped to think about the life of the person at the center of the news story? They were more than just a headline or a statistic. They were someone's loved one or friend. I'm Mike Morford, and my podcast, The Murder of My Family, dives into some of those stories to help listeners get to know the person who was lost and how their death affected those closest to them. Listen to The Murder of My Family everywhere you listen to podcasts. There are well over 100 episodes to binge on now. Cats, we open on a weird, mostly empty London with a kitty cat moon and a car shows up. Some people just chuck a sack into an alley. Some cats show up and poke at the sack until its contents spill out and reveal another cat. Guys, a cat literally gets let out of the bag within the first 60 seconds of the movie. (laughs) This cat's name is Victoria and much like the audience has no idea what's going on. I'll interject here and say for the first hour of the movie I thought Victoria was played by Taylor Swift. She's not. Then the singing starts. The cats, including, I'm going to try to say these names, Monkastrap, the narrator, uh, Mr. Mistopheles, who's a magical cat we learn, tell her (laughs) all about what it means to be a jellical cat. um, Which, supposedly, according to this research, uh, is how T.S. Eliot's kid would say dear little as in dear little cats. The traits of cats include being black, white, small, and of moderate size. Um, I think they're also in the song, sometimes they're, they're hypocritical and then sometimes they're magical. Sometimes pedantic. Pedantic. Oh, boy. Soon after this, they explain the magic of cat names, which never come up again in the movie, if you were waiting to see how this lands. Uh, this tells us a few important things. These cats are jellicle cats, an undefined but immensely meaningful term. Tonight is the jellicle cat ball, where all the cats compete to see who gets sent to the heavy side lair to start a new life. A choice made by the old wise cat Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Whew. It's been a while since I was in Old Testament class. Um, with this in mind, Victoria is introduced to a bunch of cats. They all explain their whole deal via song, even though the ball hasn't started. We get Rebel Wilson as Jenny Yanny Dots, the Gumby cat, whose performance includes training anthropomorphized mice and roaches, eating a roach while it screams, and shedding her outer skin to reveal a sparkly dancing unitard and moreskin underneath. We also meet Rum. Tum Tugger, a horny cat played by Jason Derulo. We get James Corden's Bustopher Jones, uh, the fat cat that eats garbage and gets hit in the nuts. I feel like they kind of fat shame him too, but more on that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grizabella, who's the former glamour cat, in case anyone made the mistake I did, not grammar cat, <laughs> glamour cat, uh, turned an outsider after falling in with Evil McCavity, the mystery cat played by Stringer Bell. Uh, her quest to meet every cat in the damn world leads her to meeting Mungo Jerry and Rumpelteaser, who are criminal cats, um, who love making a ruckus and stealing. Lovable criminals, though. Uh, while she's out doing this, McCavity, the aforementioned mystery cat played by Idris Elba, is going around kidnapping his competition so he can win the Jellicle Ball. He manages to get busted for Jones and Jenny Annie Dots and puts them on a boat with Growl Tiger, the pirate cat. Finally, Victoria gets to the Jellicle Ball where she gets to see more cats dancing. Ian McKellen's Gus the Theater Cat revive his glory days. He was so nervous. And the <laughs> highlight of the whole damn thing uh we get skimble shanks the railway cat i did like that part i do think it's unsafe to dance on a railway track uh, everyone's having a great time but then gus and skimble shanks get mccavityed and then taylor swift this is where she comes into the movie bomble arena shows up gets everyone wasted on catnip sings a song about mccavity and how he's good at crime one interjection here if you're good at crime you don't sing about it with your name <laughs> you don't create songs snitching on yourself telling everyone how good you are at crime you just don't if you're gonna cry shut up 
Sorry. And then McCavity shows up to threaten old Dot, Deuteronomy, into making him the jellicle choice. She refuses, gets kidnapped, but busted Virginia Dodds, Gus, and Skimble Shanks. Whew. Overcome, Growl Tiger, the pirate cat, he walks the plank. Mr. Mistopheles zaps her back with magic, or does he? Victoria gets Jennifer Hudson, we mean Grizabella, to sing her big song. It's so good. She gets to go to the heavy side lair. Or get sacrificially killed. And everyone is happy. The cats sing, dance. Judy Dench reminds us that a cat is not a dog. That was important for me. <laughs> There's a weird CGI, Trafalgar Square. The credits roll, and you spend the next few days asking yourself, what is any of this or any of my life meant? And what would Francis Ford Coppola think? That's the movie. We're going to break it down. But before we break it down... Let's quickly talk about some of the lovely people that are making this whole thing possible. Um, so today, Show Me the Meaning is brought to you by an awesome sponsor, Skillshare. Uh, I don't know about either of you, but in 2020, I want to do better. I want to learn more. I want to focus on the skills I already have uh, while also maybe learning some new stuff. And Skillshare is an incredible way to do that. It's an online learning community where tons of people come together to make themselves better and sort of take the next step in their creative journey. Now, you can study stuff like graphic design, photography, creative writing, marketing, fine art, music, web development, and crafts. Um, I was looking up some of the classes on writing, and there's one really cool course I'm interested in taught by writer Emily Gould that's a 10-day journaling challenge where you write a little bit every day and at the end of it she shows you how to put it together into a story so if you're like me and you're trying to become a better writer in 2020 maybe it's something you can do but if not there's tons of other options now right now uh, there's an incredible offer available if you go to skillshare.com wisecrack you get two free months of their premium membership um, this is an awesome deal so i recommend everyone goes to skillshare.com wisecrack and looks through the courses sees what they might be interested in and make 2020 a year where you get a little better okay um so do that and let us know what class you take i would love to hear how all our listeners are making themselves better smarter and more creative via skillshare this podcast is also brought to you by likewise um once again, I'm just going to talk about my problems. I have the problem of focusing on my writing. Skillshare is there to help with that. I also struggle sometimes with just sitting there and scrolling through my like streaming apps to figure out what to watch or going through my podcast apps to figure out what to listen to. I don't know if this happens to y'all. Likewise is there to help us because Likewise is an app that helps us discover what to watch or read next. It works with all the apps and streaming services you already use. You can plug in sort of the services you have. You can connect with friends and family on there to get recommendations. And it even learns like what you like, what you're into. So you can avoid that sitting on the hour at the end of a long day, scrolling through Netflix to finally pick the one thing you want to watch and then getting too tired to watch it. But of course, along with content like that, you can get hooked up with books, podcasts, even restaurants. Um, now, if you were to use it for podcast, you could recommend your favorite podcast. You could go on and say, show me the meaning is a podcast that you would want to recommend to your friends and family. Not saying you have to, saying you could. If you download the Likewise app on the App Store or Google Play Store, if you go to likewise.com slash meaning to check out Likewise for yourself. So don't be like me. Don't waste time staring at apps for hours. Use Likewise. Find awesome content to consume in 2020. Speaking of awesome content, cats. Oh, hell yeah. Wait, can I tell you a story about scrolling really quick? I was, I thought you'd never ask, so yes. Um, so recently I discovered the app Tubi, which just has like an unbelievable quantity of things to watch. 
and I was looking for a horror movie to watch with my friends, and I scrolled through, it counts how far into the list you get, and I scrolled through 750 movies without picking anything. <laughs> sounds like you need... It sounds like I need likewise in a big way. You likewise. need likewise. I think you need it in like a clinical way. Yeah, I, like, <laughs> most I need, of us just well, need, I need it in well, a way to make therapy, our life but like, likewise will help. <laughs> well, check with the, the insurance provider in your state and see if you can get reimbursed for likewise <laughs> if you struggle from that sort of neurotic condition. Um, did you eventually find something to watch? Yeah, I watched a movie called uh, The Danger Nun, I think. The Danger, danger Nun. Nun. That sounds dope. It was pretty <sighs> bad, but it was fun. Well, speaking of danger, we all watched Cats. We've all had some time to think about it. Let's dig a little bit deeper into the movie, and maybe a good place to start is going a little meta and thinking about the phenomenon of this film as a whole, mm -hmm. what this film-going experience has been like, and kind of what these past few weeks have looked like, uh, having the culture of cats emerge around us. So, uh, Amanda, I, think, I feel like you have thoughts here. I mean, I've read an embarrassing amount of articles trying to figure out how big the cats are because it's wildly yeah. inconsistent or you could even say like surrealist how they yeah. seem to like they're they're like smaller than a fork but they're larger than a coke bottle it, it, it's it's very it's very surreal um and obviously the feline sexuality is too much too much <laughs> i mean victoria is like really Real, like very sexually overcome by every male cat she encounters without exception. She's not very not discriminatory. Good. And then Grizabella Gris has this like implied feline prostitution pass mm -hmm. that's like. Is that what that was? That she sort of became like a, a street cat in the pejorative sense? Yeah. yeah. I, okay. I felt like it was implied there was some sex worker shaming going on in the Jellicle community. Wow. I thought, Lux, did you get that? Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's, they have to, and then she internalizes all of her suffering. And then she has to learn the big lesson that she's valuable despite the social stigma. Well, their leader is named after an Old Testament book that's full of very rigorous rules. So mm. that implies that the Jellicle community is a little bit more. Old Testament in their ethical orientation. At least that's what I gathered. Although, um, who's he? What uh, the the two cat cat burglar cats? Oh, they're fun. Yeah, they're not really. Uh, no one's hissing at them. No, and a lot. I guess because they they bother the humans. Yeah, and. And I said this before, but another group of criminals who thinks the best way to continue to get away with crime is sing songs about how good they are at crime and how much <laughs> they love it. So hopefully, none of these people ever go on trial. Um, wait, how and how old are the cats? Mm -hmm. Do we have any sense of that? Because I wondered too. Victoria comes off as a, a sort of naive child, but then it seems like adult cat men are swooning for her in a sexualized way. Yeah, there's definitely some kitty cat Lolita shit going on. I feel like it is fair sure. to say though that the age gradient, sex wise, with cats works a little bit differently than with people. Mm, mm. There's there's no age of consent in the feline oh, community. I feel like it's just like kitten oh. into cat. There's like two ages that you can be. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure, sure. Well, if any cat experts know about uh, consent laws in the feline community, please let us know. Movies at Wisecrack. <laughs> yeah. The only like clear, uh, clear uh, cut thing is that Grizabella is past her prime. That's yes. what we're I think yeah. we're supposed to take, which is like a little weird because Jennifer Hudson, I would say, like is pretty. Like in her prime, so yeah. I don't know about that casting. Yeah. Also, like she really needed a tissue. <laughs> okay, oh, wait. Do we think, think this that. is a big question for me? Was that real snot or was that CGI snot? I thought that looked like CGI snot. 
that is a good I mean that couldn't be real snot and it didn't it's, seem like they were really into doing practical effects on set so I would too say CGI mm-hmm. it's like two perfect little snarps oh my gosh <laughs> um so so here's maybe a related question then I mean how much I guess this movie makes us ask the question when is bad good Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about other film examples here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, whether it be like we, we've brought up the room and Rocky Horror Picture Show, two films that if they're playing in your town, a bunch of people are going to line up to watch them late at night. So this film to me felt like it was right on that line. Mm-hmm. In terms of box office, it was a historical disaster. Um, this mm-hmm. film lost a ton of money and underperformed. <laughs> at the same time, it seems like in a certain, I guess, largely like Gen Z millennial age range, a good amount of people seem to be going to mm-hmm. see this movie. Uh, and making a show of it. So so what does that say about this movie or maybe the way we're consuming this movie? I mean, I think a lot of like the good, bad movie zone has to do with like a sort of sense of earnestness and like honest effort. Like everyone in this movie, no one in this movie is like mailing it in. Like everyone is going 10 out of 10, 100 percent effort, mm-hmm. which is shocking given the movie. But like everyone is trying very hard <laughs> to do the movie. Um, and so watching it sort of like be insane and blurp itself out despite that is kind of where a lot of the joy comes from. Cause like the, the reason Sharknado, which was like a designed in a lab <laughs> version of like good, bad movie never like got the like in theaters party treatment, which cats is already getting, um, is that it like, it felt too designed. It felt too, too architectural. Whereas this was like, they really thought they were going to make a movie version of the musical Cats and people were going to be super stoked about it. Um, Which is an insane thing to ever think, but it's true. That's what they were trying to do. See, I don't know. I've been wondering a lot about it. And also in the context of like camp and whether you can make something that's camp anymore or if we're just kind of too uh, diluted Mm -hmm. by content. And... I almost like the reason I kind of am iffy on this movie is that I feel like it was trying to manufacture campiness. That and that's what I wondered watching it, and I think that that relates to Lux's point as well. Like, there's points at which I thought to myself, surely if Dame Judy Dench is putting on cat makeup and singing songs, that she thinks she's trying to do something good. Because like, when else has Judy Dench oh, well, done camp for the sake of camp? Or maybe she has, and I don't. I'm not familiar enough with her IMDb. She's reclaiming her past because she was supposed to be Grizabella in the original West End run of Cats. Oh, but she broke her Achilles tendon. Yeah, she broke her. She damaged her inside legs, um, <laughs> and so couldn't do it. And so now she finally has her chance. Um, and so, so she. Oh, is I didn't realize that it was like meta casting with her. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I I keep going back and forth because I feel like they couldn't have possibly thought that people would be earnestly into this, right? Like, I feel like they were trying to go very viral and then make money off of that by putting famous people in, like, disturbingly realistic cat makeup. But... But see, I think that it's... The reason I think that this is, like, a sincere, like... They were like, we've got something here, right? <laughs> it's because it's so the opposite of other movie musical type things that have come out. Like the like we've gotten really into like when we're doing movie musical things, it's like CGI, like photorealistic shit. And this is like way closer to like French extreme cinema than it is to like the new Disney Lion King. Like they clearly like Tom Hooper and friends were all like, we have an idea and it is a capital I idea and we're going to do it. 
And then no one was like, please stop. And so then they did it. And then it was like, oh my God, this is what it looks like and is. Because like, like, for instance, like they nuzzle each other a lot in that movie. Like Mm -hmm. those are just actors in green screen suits rubbing their heads together. But like they did it. Right. And if you don't think that like Judy Dench or like Ian McKellen could just be like, look, I'm fucking Judy Dench. I'm not rubbing my head on this ballet dancer. I'm sorry. Um, like they have that kind of power, but they didn't use it. They were like, sure, everyone can rub their head on me. It's fine. I'm Judy Dench. I'll present my crotch to Ian McKellen after his theater monologue because I'm a horny old cat. Like they they did the stuff. Or maybe it's that I like am objecting to the idea that camp could be like so wildly expensive. You know, it's like if you have that big of a budget and you make a bad movie, is it just bad? Whereas like a camp film i feel like comes out of like an earnest low budget effort to make something good that's what i would think because if you wanted it to be a camp film you wouldn't have had to spend what like 80 million dollars making this yeah yeah i I don't know i think the campiness of it comes out of the fact that like they spent 80 million dollars on i think that (laughs) for me anyways camp isn't related to like the numerics of it but rather like the commitment to vision just like Mm-hmm. And the vision outside the context of broader like cultural assumptions of like what is and is not like good movie stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, look, we have this idea. It costs 80 million dollars. We're going to do it no matter what people say is if it's the way to make movie or not to make movie. We're going to do it. They did it. And they were like, now we have movie and we share it with the people. <laughs> and like, oh. I think that's that idea that they were like, we have this movie. We're going to make it regardless of like anything else that happens. That's like where the campiness comes to me because it just so it feels so authentic and like true to a vision, even if the vision is fucking bonked out and crazy. Yeah, and just in terms of grammar, when you just said have movie and do movie and stuff, it makes me think of uh, when they ask a Mr. Mistopheles to quote unquote magic her back, <laughs> yeah. and I just like had to, I just couldn't stop thinking about that as a turn of phrase, like magic her back. <laughs> it's like what does that mean? Why can't you just say I don't know how else you you would phrase it. Um, but so uh, to, to maybe wrap up on this current trajectory of discussion, mm. do we think this is a film that will become a, a Rocky horror type thing where there will be annual screenings where people who are are, are still sort of uh, a sort of cat like child themselves will grow up and with their friends in their dorm room, watch this movie and have a great time or will we never talk about or think about this film again after like St. Patrick's Day 2020? I don't I I just don't think it has like the purity of like a a a truly disastrous like the room. Mm-hmm. I think but I think Lux disagrees. Big time. Uh, I think it 100% <laughs> is going to be one of those It's already it already is one of those movies. Like there are already theaters that are having like rowdy screenings where everyone can go in and yell at the screen and dance around. I was in a theater that wasn't even like an explicitly rowdy screening and people just got up and goofily sang along to songs in the middle of the movie in like a normal screening and we're like goofing around like in the aisles like this is it is already doing all the shit that the room and Rocky Horror Picture Show took years to like become and I think that it was super fun and people like know that it's super fun so like the Alamo is having screenings of like come goof around to cats it's time for cat goofs like they already it's already a thing that exists so like i don't see why it won't continue (laughs) and i got that vibe while i was watching it too just like so okay it's important to note i watched it in two very separate settings i watched one like at like an amc type thing and that's where everyone was like going buck and getting into it and i watched one at the alamo full of people who like really take cats really fucking seriously (laughs) 
Um, wow. And, and like both sets of people seem to have a great fucking time. Anyone who was in between those things <laughs> seems to not. But like that's how you get this kind of the movie, right? Is like there are people who like earnestly love it, and there are people who like love the sort of goofy ambiance of it. And as long as you have enough of those people, it's like worth it to do. I mean, not make the movie, but to like keep screening it. <laughs> um, I, I have some bullet points here. Does anyone have like a, a certain theme or part of the film they'd like to discuss? Um, no pressure, but. Well, I've just been thinking a lot because while I was watching it, I kept just getting really confused. Like, am I watching a person play a human-like cat or a cat-like human? Mm. Or And I was just thinking about, like, anthropomorphization and zoomorphism. How do you, you know the, the opposite of it when you make a human-like yeah. an animal? And just thinking a lot about, like, our. I feel like the film just really encompasses our over- identification with cats mm -hmm. and the way we like project lots of human qualities onto them and i was reading about it and a lot of it actually has to do with the fact that cats because they they never became like do like dogs most dogs are bred yeah. like by humans but cats generally breed wildly because mm -hmm. they don't give a fuck yeah and so because of that cats are still like very have a lot of distinctive person like like mannerisms and they haven't been bred to like appeal to humans the way like dogs have eyebrows that like make you want to feed them yeah but cats remain like inscrutable and as a result they're like a perfect blank canvas for us to like attribute lots of human traits to which i think is why people really dig cats with wow. a capital c and it is interesting because we we've made so many dog movies where we like simply just like have dogs running around in human voices. Mm -hmm. um, have we ever made a dog movie where people are dogs? I don't think so. That would be, I don't, I don't think it would work. Yeah. So no, I think that's a really interesting point that this is a product of our weird fetishization of, of cats rejection of our desire to make them <laughs> like us. It's also part of Andrew Lloyd's weird fetishization, Andrew Lloyd Webber's weird fetishization of like making people into stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Right. Cause the play after, Cats was Starlight Express, where everyone is trains, right? People are trains? Yeah, everyone's trains, and all the actors have to wear roller skates. Stop. Um, like, how have I never heard engine? of that? Wait, okay, yeah. Quick aside, he made a play called Starlight. <laughs> so, basically, Andrew Lee wanted to make Cats. Everyone was like, no, you fucking psycho. That's a crazy idea for a play. <laughs> and then he made, I forget which other one, and everyone's like, well, now you're a famous guy, so you can make the Cats one. He was like, what about my trains one? And they were like, oh, absolutely not. And then Cats was like the greatest hit of the century of all time. And everyone was like, fine, make the trains musical. So Starlight Express is about this boy who dreams about trains. And then like all the trains have like, there's boy trains and girl trains. And there's like a, each one has like a perfect pair that they can like pair up with to win the race. So all the boy trains like sing their song to the girl trains. So they can get together to win the big train race. And there's like a weird train God who never shows up. So it's like weirdly agnostic on the question of if there is or is not really a train God. And then I think the trains like rebel against the dreaming child because they want to like wake up. I can't remember at the end, but my point is that Andrew Lloyd Webber is really into like taking things that are decidedly not human and like asserting a bunch of human qualities onto them. That's like a real Andrew Lloyd Webber move. Wow. Uh, I, the, the only other thing I've seen in recent years that does that is, is sausage party. <laughs> I was oh. going to say cars. And cars, yeah. I guess that makes more <laughs> sense. But so no, but in most cases we do this in animated films. It tends to work. It's cute. But when a person is a train or a person is a cat, 
and just feels weird. I will say the other fact about this that's relevant is so T.S. Eliot's little book of shit with his uh, dumb child. Um, was, <laughs> God's children. Okay. okay. Would be called was included not just jellical cats, but also pollicle dogs. Pollicle dogs is a portmanteau for poor little dogs. And those were like anthropomorphized dogs with like little bindles and like overalls that would walk around. So there is like some, there's like, they're the same at base. The same principles are applied to both dogs and cats in like the very original text. I may, I was reading about this this morning and I think that he was going to write more about the dogs, but he didn't find dogs as interesting. So there's like one poem with dogs in them, but like there's a oh, million yeah. poems about individual cats. Yeah. So it, uh. it also is like, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. Yeah. It's harder to think about creating real character tension with dogs because they might disagree for two seconds and all like join the team together and try to solve a, a mystery. Whereas cats <laughs> are so, they, they just come off as so individualistic. It's easy to build that sort of tension, I guess. Yeah. yeah I even read that like cat owners are more likely to say that their cat is very, is like an individual and is very unique. And dog owners are more likely to be like, I love dogs. Yeah, I feel like until recently, this has nothing to do with the film, so I'll say this and stop. <laughs> but until recently, dog owners got that dogs are dumb and just like accepted, like they're dumb, but they look cool and are fun. And like the past five years, now everyone's dog is like special and smart and great and always on every plane with them. <laughs> um, nothing to do with this film. Lux, was there any 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 themes or ideas that you're you're thinking about over there? I mean, a couple things that just jump out immediately are like it's worth talking about. So did you guys see it pre or post like patch? Like when they like Post video what? game style patched the movie to like fix a bunch of tech problems. Ooh, I'm not sure. Um, I saw it before. Yeah, cool. I think okay. I saw yeah. Human yeah. Foot. Because for those of you who don't know, this happened. The movie came out and was like not finished, and they were <laughs> like, "We are going to send out a new digital cinema project or projection to all the theaters that has like these problems solved," and so like. Some of the problems in the movie are because of that. Like, the fact that you can see Judy Dench's wedding ring, like, half the time is, like, that movie wasn't finished. Or the fact that sometimes their feet sink into the ground. Or sometimes their feet float above the ground. That was all, like, tech problem stuff. But some of the tech problems aren't that. Like, the fact that they just start wearing shoes halfway through the movie. Or, like, <laughs> other shit like that. And so it's just, like, it, this is why it's, like, such a wonderful fucking mess, right? Is that it's just, like, it is... It's profoundly riddled with technical problems, but the insanity of, like, the actual premise of the movie, like, overwhelms all of that, to me, at least. Like, I'm really impressed that Dame Judi Dench is so committed to her partner that she will not take that ring off to film. So I, 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 knew, I now think of that as a metaphor for love. You're willing to ruin a movie because you want your partner to know you love them no matter what. It also raises the question, like, why wasn't Mr. Old Deuteronomy at the Jellicle Ball? Oh, he's dead, right? Yeah, probably. It's super hard to say, but she also, has like heavy widow vibes. Like, <laughs> I mean, she was she was trying to fucking she was hitting on Gus the theater cat aggressively throughout. That's true. That that's true. Yeah. God, the cats were um, too horny. They were so, so horny. horny. This is, yeah. When Miles and I were working on the Star Wars article, I was like, "All right, so we got to make some concessions about cats. It looks pretty shitty, and the cats are too horny." And then Miles was just like, "No." Actually, they're not horny enough. And I was like, okay, we're just going to have to table this and never. Oh, I couldn't. Have if they were hornier, I would have been very uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I was already. I was, yeah, already. Super uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Also, just like the inconsistency. Like, what was going on with the wardrobe department? And 
who like okay why were some cats wearing fur and rebel wilson had two layers of fur yeah and was why that would you wear her other fur, fur or a dead cat's fur that would be like if you wore other skin, skin. like yes, if right correct. now you took your skin off and there was other skin underneath and everyone was like oh cool amanda keep singing i wouldn't say that no. i would run <laughs> yeah. also Fair. rebel wilson in that scene sings into like a weird pink tube and I thought it was like her tail, but it's not her tail. And it's unclear whose tail it is. And it never shows up again in the movie. So she has the skin of a cat she killed that she wears. <laughs> and then she has a tail that's not hers that that's she sings microphone. into. And she's just like, fuck with me and this will be you. And then she eats a roach that talk, like, looks at her wrong. Like, I didn't I didn't like that, the roach eating at all. Yeah, the roaches were too human for that to be comfortable. The boldest swing was definitely the humanized uh, roaches and mice. I just yeah. feel like, like. I'm sure I'm not the only one who who just is kind of disturbed by roaches and doesn't like them. So I didn't enjoy that at all. Even when they're dancing adorably. No. Um. Other quick question: Why does Victoria know the words to all the songs? She slowly picks them up, much like yeah, the audience yeah, in yeah. the theater. I think. Okay. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. There's a couple of points where I was like, she's like really harmonizing here. <laughs> and, and about, I don't know, 40 minutes ago, she was tossed in a burlap sack into the streets of London, which I'm glad that you pointed this out. We're oddly empty. Um, so, I mean, we, we, there's a couple big questions I think we do need to ask, mm. or at least that I need to ask. Mm -hmm. um, let's start with this. Two, two related things. Uh, is the Jellicle Cat contingent a sort of death cult? Mm. Two, what is the heavy side? Is it heaven? Is it hell? Is it neither? Is it some purgatorial space? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Thoughts on these? So one answer I do have is the heavy side layer is actually a reference to the heavy side layer, which is a layer of the atmosphere oh. that Elliot, that T.S. Eliot just liked the sound of. But deaf heaven slash is it heaven because maybe like as cats they have multiple lives so it's like reincarnation is implied yeah but so so is it clearly a reincarnation that that jennifer hudson cat is going to go into the atmosphere and then later come back as another cat that's what i got yeah, i mean that's what they okay. say right is that you go to the heavy side layer and then like get a new life Mm. Uh, yeah, which it's is like a weird way of saying like you're a valued member of our community now. Fuck off in this tire. Yeah, and I mean like she was clearly exiled and alienated from this community in a way that caused I think I think trauma and psychological damage. Mm -hmm. And within minutes of being welcomed back in, they then attach her to a floating chandelier and and shoot her into space. Yeah, and and like just watching her kind of float away, you, it's 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 not a feeling of joy that no, because I mean she's gonna hit the sun at some point. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's just it's so funny to me in that scene where she like regains her like standing in the community. All starts because Victoria just looks at her and goes sing, like just commands <laughs> her to sing, and then she's like I mean, oh, I okay. I appreciated that. Like thematically, there was a moment where I was like, okay, Victoria has been exiled somehow. She's lonely. She's recognizing mm -hmm. uh, via this empathetic gaze something similar in this other person. She wants to work to bring her back into the fold. I, I will say that for part of the movie, having coming in with no knowledge of, of the musical, I thought that Victoria was going to be the, the belle of the Jellicle Ball. Mm -hmm. So it was fun when it got pivoted towards the Jennifer Hudson cat. Um mm -hmm. What are the Jellicles? 
is this a is this a gang? Is this a religion? Is it a cult? Is it a ethnic subset? <laughs> um, is it like a sort of militia based on a set of unifying political principles inherited over the generations? <laughs> according it's a to very a, judgmental community. Well, according to yeah. a very weird Andrew Lloyd Webber interview, all cats are genital cats. What? Um, <laughs> that just reminds me of when I knew some people that were really, and this is fine, were, were, were evangelical in their religion, and they would say to you, you're, you're like a pre-Christian or something like that. Like yeah. you're not you're there's no such thing as a non-Christian. There's only Christians that haven't come come around yet. Once again, this isn't to, to make fun of any religion, right. but that idea that we're all already evangelicals. Yeah, I wish I could remember like who the interview was with. I know it's Andrew Lloyd Webber sitting at a piano and he's talking to this British lady and then she's like, what's a jellical cat? And he's like, well, a jellical cat is like it's a cat and they can be big or small, or black or white. And then she's like, OK, but like what is and is not a jellical cat? And he's just like. Every cat's a jellical cat, and she's like, "Then but what's the mo- what's the thing about?" And he's like, "It's about also, cats." Like in the song, it's a super <laughs> weird interview. I did know this earlier in the song where they tell us what jellical cats are. They also say some are metaphorical cats. What is a metaphorical cat, and what is the metaphor? Sorry, um, I don't up. know. I mean, I guess maybe like some of the cats are like, oof, it's tough to say. Maybe some of their names are a metaphor for something that they also do. So if all cats are jellical cats... How is, is Victoria an outsider? Yeah, so is it the idea that to come to the jellical ball is to is to reintegrate yourself into a community that you are, like, genetically already a part of? I think it's, like, like all about thing realizing that you are a jellical cat. That's, like, Victoria's journey. It's, like, yeah. she already was a special kitty, because they're all special kitties. Yeah. Uh, I just like like the thing with this 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 play. The reason why like we compared it to Star Wars in that article is that like, well, let me tell you, it's a fucking mess in a lot of ways. But one thing the play the movie does do is establish characters having wants that are opposed to their needs, and then like having an arc that like gets them from one to the other. Even if that arc happens across like eight minutes and two songs, but like it does happen, right? Like so. Well, uh, to, to relate to that a little bit, so do we know why does McCavity, mm-hmm. first of all, I don't like his strategy at all. I've already talked about my problems with his song or the songs that are <laughs> sung about him. So his strategy in general, this would be like if, I don't know, uh, the Los Angeles Clippers basketball franchise wanted to win a game and Kawhi Leonard ran around and put players from the other team in like a secret room and then said, well, I guess we won the game today because the other team didn't show up. Um but it also seems like if Idris Elba cat, I'm sorry, McCavity cat, uh, were to, to to win the Jellicle Ball, he just dies. He could do that on his own. Yeah, but you have to die but the special he... way. So does he want to die the special way so he can come back and like? So is there a pure desire there? I guess is what I'm asking. Is he too far gone in the street life, and that by being reborn via the Jellicle ritual rites, he could come back? And maybe like have a new life and be an accountant or a pastry chef or something more honorable. That's like the maddening thing to me about this musical is that everyone's like, I'm amazing. Like, hear me sing about yeah. how about my many talents and thus so I can win the prize of not being me anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Grisabella is like the only cat for whom it seems like a good idea to go to the heavy side layer. Like, she's the only one who yeah. seems to need a reset. Everyone else seems like pretty okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just in terms of morality as well, I will say, just for any younger person who saw this movie and took notes, uh, what Taylor Swift does is she she doses a room of people that did not consent 
So if you ever think that'd be like a funny thing at your cat theme party to make some punch <laughs> and put a substance in it, don't do that. That's not a cool thing to do. Or at least like put up a sign. Let him know. Because that was aggressive, too, that she just comes in and sings and just drugs everyone. But then they bounce back pretty quick. Also, McCavity's disappearing powers, I think, uh, don't really hold up to scrutiny. Magic was weird. The, the rules of the magic in this world were weird. Especially how he can specifically disappear you and then reappear you to the boat in in chains. Like I was that. so confused by that, and I thought I missed something because I thought, no. how do we get from the Egyptian theater Jellicle Cat place to the boat place by the Thames, as Corden lets us know, not the Thames. You can't say Thames because it rhymes with Thames. The Thames. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a lot. The rules of ma- and then that- did did Deuteronomy actually like magically come back, or did did she just walk back on her own power and want to make uh, Mistopheles feel good about himself? I think she is he a real. I think magician? he magics her back. He really magicked her back. I think he magicked. Gotta her back. believe. Okay. Okay, but just like when she the, rolled up, I was like, is this is like a sweet parent when like a kid's learning magic tricks, and the parent's like, what is this I found, Timothy? And Timothy's like, I'm, I do magic now. Um, on the on the McCavity magic thing, uh, that's one of my favorite bits in the movie, and I think it's on purpose that he always says something different when he does the magical spell. Like, yeah. the first time mm-hmm. he does it, he's just like, ineffable. And then later, he's like, magic. And then on another one, he just goes, meow. <laughs> And on a different one, he just says, McCavity. Oh, it's never the same. It's, to me, very good. Um, and very funny. Also, it's very weird that Idris Elba is so buff that his cat looks insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His cat is the his only one with a visible six-pack. Yeah, his so, cat body's I mean, jacked. And all the other cats are so very there's, flat. So there's one cat-sized set of weights in all of London, and McCavity has said, them are mine. <laughs> I will muscle myself. Yeah, McCavity just yeah like, McCavity them to his like special uh, layer and like did it up. Well, a- a- as we start to you know work our way to our own heavy side of, of sorts, um, who do you think? And this is maybe backing up a little bit, and we can dive back in because I want to make sure everyone says all the deep things this movie inspired in their fragile brains. But who regrets making this movie most? Out of the actors that are in it, who do we think saw that first cut, hung their head, and thought, oh, no? Um, my vote is James Corden, just because yeah. I heard we a story Corden. that James Corden showed up for the premiere, did the red carpet, and then left before the screening. Oh, wow. Um which either is like he's a busy dude or like is Tim just being like, get me out of here. I mean the the also his portrayal the, is not the, the nicest one, and the cat no. body shaming is is pretty out of control. If he was a human, he would just be a foodie. We live in a culture where if you just like love food all the time, that's like a cool thing, and you could start a blog and monetize it. But in the cat world, Corden loves snacking, <laughs> and we treat him like he's he's some some big asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do, are you going with Corden as well, uh, Amanda? For the that person? was that was kind of my first instinct as well. Yeah. Okay, now that I know this premiere thing, I, I, it makes me want to change my answer. I couldn't help but think Idris Elba, mm. because in terms of people when when they're outside of their cat suits. He's kind of like a cool guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He like DJs at parties in Ibiza. He he occasionally Ibiza. will drop a verse on a grime song in England. Um, he was in The Wire, among other things. And, and when he first pops up, he's he's the most. Where I'm like, I just don't know how they got him to do this. 
Do you think he feels like a little bit disgusted with himself when he's out there like dropping that cat's money on like a a new Hamptons house or something? Maybe he burned it. I just think this production was probably pretty fun to do and didn't take that long from the actors. Like they just yeah. had to throw on green screen suits, get on green screen, singer and like sing and like spin around and like goof goof off, and then like everything else happened in post. So like to me, it's like someone was like. Idris Elba, we'll give you $5 million to come here for a week, sing a couple songs, say different weird catchphrases, and then you can leave. <laughs> and he was just like, yeah. fine, sounds great. Like, like it's a, it seems like a fun gig. Fair enough. On the flip side, really quick, do you think there's anyone who was in this movie, made the movie, and is like, yeah, you know what? That was pretty good. I heard that Taylor Swift said, claimed to have enjoyed it. Okay. Um... I bet the bal- the ballet man who played Skimbleshanks came out of this feeling good because they just like killed it and they're only in the movie for a yeah. little tiny bit. They just like show up, do a cool dance, sing a cool song, and leave. And I bet he was just like nailed it. Like that's yeah. that's how you cats, baby. A lot wow. of Twitter love for Skimbleshanks for sure. Wow. So, uh, any final thoughts as you ride the metaphorical chandelier towards the empty space of the heavy side? So, final thoughts. Did this movie remind either of you guys of, like, weird, like, French extreme, like, Holy Motors type shit? Like, obviously not as good or, like, thoughtful or, like, intellectually riveting. But, like, the way that everything, like, looked wrong and was, like you said, man, like, really surreal and, like, played with, like, your sense of reality, whether on purpose or not. Like, it had that energy to me that, like, you can, like, generously assume it's on purpose. And it's, like, a pretty fun, (laughs) wild thing. It seems like probably it's not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I don't know. I kind of really liked how it, it... I mean, literally, when I saw it the second time, a friend of mine was like, "This movie, like, it looks like Holy Motors. Reminds me of Holy Motors. Let's go see it." And then we see it again, and I was like, "Yeah, I kind of can see where you're coming from." Um, just like the part, the animated overlay parts of Holy Motors. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I see that. I definitely think there's some accidental surreal art, art question mark happening for sure. Well. This has been a journey. This has been a journey. Um, So to step away from cats for a second, let's get in touch with the most important part of this podcast, our listeners, Um, and hit the mailbag and the voicemail. So just a quick reminder. um, Well, first of all, a quick affirmation. We love hearing from you. Y'all are the best. Um, Please do not hesitate to email and call. You can email us at movies at wisecrack.co, no M, wisecrack.co, or you can call us at 213-534-8807. That's 213-534-8807. We truly love to hear from you. It's not a bit or a joke or a lie. So please tell us what you think. Um, So we have... Some some messages about last week where we talked about uncut gems. Have, have y'all seen that movie? Oh, yes. fucking yeah, dude. Awesome. Well, feel Dope. free to jump in on this. Uh, so let's start with an email we have from Jason. He says this. Uh, I'm not writing about any one film in particular, but rather a handful of films that came out in 2019, including Parasite, Us, Joker, Ready or Not, and Knives Out, to name a few. It's hard not to notice that the thematic similarity between all these movies is how people of varying economic classes interact with, harm, and understand one another. From the more surface-level commentary in Ready or Not about a wealthy family that hunts a lower-class individual to the far more nuanced take in Parasite about the futility of trying to rise above your station in life, the idea of class structures was clearly in the guys last year i'm wondering if you guys think this trend was purely coincidental or if it's indicative of the social and wealth gap that continues to grow between classes and many people's dissatisfaction with that 
love you guys and everything you do. Peace, Jason. Well, I feel like Jason's going to be pretty stoked on the new script that you're working on, which is literally about about how the prevalence of class conflict in uh, 2019 films. Uh, but yeah, I definitely feel like it's... Uh, I mean, especially the fact that like a foreign film like Parasite was able to become so incredibly mainstream, I feel like just shows the like worldwide resonance of um, class. Yeah, and conflict. the Parasite thing is interesting because there's an interview, and, and, and y'all can look this up, where Bong Joon-ho says something to the effect of like, I thought I was making a movie about a particular place, mm -hmm. like the, the contemporary Seoul, South Korea, and realized he was just making a movie about the world that we all live in. Yeah. So this idea that like certain social conditions are so universal that it's affecting art made on, on other sides of the world. Yeah. I thought uh, I was sure. making a movie about Korea. Turns out we all live in the same country. It's called Capitalism. I believe yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I forget who said it. I want to say Freud because has the word anxiety in it, but it probably wasn't Freud. But like, art tends to reflect the anxieties of the culture that created it, right? Like, that's mm -hmm. like a pretty historically accepted truism. And it seems very clear that in 2019, 2020 Earth, like, class <laughs> is like the big problem. I mean, it has been for a long time, yeah. but it's becoming more obviously the big problem than it was in past times. And so I think it's not a coincidence. I think you're going to see more of that stuff going forward because, like, more and more, the story that everyone feels that really resonates and the story that affects people and moves people is like the one of their own crisis. And the crisis right now is like a massive class crisis, especially yeah. in America, and but like pretty globally. Yeah. And it's just an interesting point in general. If you're ever doing your like film history, you go back to certain periods, like films made in the late 60s, early 70s. We see, you know, the influence of the, the Vietnam War, whether explicitly or implicitly, and a lot of the themes being explored there. The movies mm -hmm. made in like the sort of boom times of the 80s. Um, on the backs of all this economic growth, you'll notice certain themes of like affluence and over the topness. Mm -hmm. Also, weekend at Bernie's uh, in that period. So there, there's a fun kind of like sociology of film you can yeah. do by by watching a set of movies and asking like what was going on in the world at that time. And like in correlation with right now, I mean, like right out during or maybe slightly after the Great Depression, there mm -hmm. were like a good amount of films exploring similar themes to what we're seeing right now, which. Like Grapes of Wrath, yeah. uh, Sullivan's Travels. That's great. Well, Jason, thank you so much for that. Uh, really insightful question. And yeah, there's a video coming out probably next week, maybe after that, that I think, I think you'll maybe like. I think it's a week from Wednesday, but I can't remember. Okay. Which is, well, Jason, I should, I, mean, I should know this. Uh, just subscribe and Stay keep tuned. up with it. Yeah. Um, let's hit some voicemails real quick. So this one is from Jacob. Show me the meaning, Minecraft crew. My name is Jacob, calling in regards to your Uncut Gems podcast. I really enjoyed the movie. And I think it was one of Adam Sandler's best. But it really got me thinking about the resurgence of the neo-gangster drama, or the genre itself. In the, in the film, we see him like going dealing with gangsters, and we see him dealing with a lot of people. And it got me really thinking with, with other movies, mostly films like John Wick, The Irishman, this resurgence of a almost long forgotten genre and almost like it's going to be replacing the superhero genre. And I really wanted to know what you guys thought since, you know, the superhero like bubble is going to be like, well, no one's going to want to be seeing any more superhero movies. So interesting point. Dude, I am down for gangsters to replace superheroes. Like, 
sign me up, man. Yeah, it sounds like an upgrade, but I also don't think it's gonna happen. Just like even you look at the list of movies that that Jacob pointed out, which are all do have similarities. They also all have like very fundamental differences in terms of like type of movie and goal, right? Like I, The Irishman's mm-hmm. a movie largely about like this question of like how hard do you work for people who don't give a shit about you, right? Mm-hmm. And then Uncut Gems is a movie about like it's really just an experiment in like how hard can we induce a panic attack in an audience by like <laughs> tricking them into liking this guy and begging for him to live a better life. And then John Wick just is like a cool fucking shoot 'em up movie. So like I think maybe there is some truth to what he's saying that of like bringing movies down in scale, right? Away from like 200 million fucking endgame movies. But I think that even within the movies they listed, it's such a diversity of type of movie that I think mm. we might see a shrinking in scale, but I don't think we're going to see a sort of genre consolidation in the way that he's talking about. I feel like, especially like the the directors of Uncut Gems, the Safdie brothers, did I say that right? Yes. Um, I feel like we are seeing maybe a, a it's a good time for like scumbag protagonists. Uh, good time. Good time, <laughs> which brings me to the Safdie brothers' incredible first film, Good yeah. Time, which is a very similar uh, narrative to Uncut Gems, except mm-hmm. I think better. Uh, this isn't time for hot takes. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Turn the temperature. <laughs> no, but once again, I think uh, very interesting question posed by Jacob, mm-hmm. and I like kind of between y'all. I don't know if it'll come back and and overtake superheroes, but I I do like the intensity of seeing gangsters in a contemporary setting because mm-hmm. so many gangster movies historically have been like, oh, 30 years ago when that was the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think Uncut Gems does a good job of being like, oh, there's still like goons today uh, that could find you. So be careful. Oh, we have one last voicemail we're going to dip into today. This is from Nick. Hey, my name is Nick. I uh, just watched the Uncut Gems podcast. And that movie is is really surprising. I, uh, I downloaded it right before I got on a flight. And I'm sitting on this flight watching this movie so engrossed because there's no distractions around me or anything else going on. Just, like, the the stewardess had to tap on my shoulder a couple times to get my attention because I had headphones on. I was so engrossed in this movie every step of the way. They did a fantastic job with it. And even at the end, that final basketball game, I'm sitting there, like, rooting for the Celtics. I, I, I don't care about basketball seven days out of the week, but during that movie, I was so engrossed and, and wanted him to win so badly. They, uh, like, the Celtics scored, and, and I'm, I was like, I kind of pumped my fist. I was really excited for him, and I looked over, and the lady is, like, kind of looking at me. <laughs> I want to be on a flight with Nick. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's a really good point. There's something about the effect that Uncut Gems has on a viewer that's super unique. Did anyone else feel like you got caught up in your own world or found yourself being a, a temporary uh, Celtics fan from 2012. Um, okay, well, a fun fact about this is this movie takes place during a time when I was writing about basketball um, as, like, a mm. job. Um, so the game that it's showing is a game that, like, I fully knew who won and, like, what Kevin Garnett did and, like, knew all the facts about the game and was still fucking losing my damn mind in the theater while I was watching it. Like, in the back of my head, I was like, I know the Celtics win. Like, I know Garnett, like, tops 26 points rebounds total because he gets, I think, 18 and 13. Like, I, like, knew all that shit, and I still was freaking the fuck out, like, throughout the entire sequence just because, like, the movie... It's like I said, like, the movie does an incredible job of giving you a guy who's just likable enough and has just enough redeeming qualities that you're like, you could get out of this by just being 
less of a scumbag for 10 seconds. And then he keeps having opportunities to be less of a scumbag and always chooses no. But you like him just enough that you like keep having faith. And then at that end moment is so perfect because Eric Bogosian's character lives out the arc the audience is living, right? Like at the end when mm-hmm. the Celtics win, he's like, oh my God, he fucking did it. Like I actually can just like get the money from him. We can go back to being friends because he's like a fine guy and then we'll be okay. And it's like, no, you can't. Like blammo, he's dead. Nope. Um, spoilers. Um, <laughs> but like it's the whole movie is like that. Like it's constantly stressing you out and making you more and more anxious for Adam Sandler to the point where even things that like have obvious endpoints, like known endpoints, if you're me, like still affect you tremendously. And then it gives you that little gasp of joy before it just rips it all away, which is brutal, brutal piece of filmmaking. I fucking love that movie. And I mean, same with uh, good time. It takes you in like a compressed time period with a scumbag character who you can't help, but, empathize with or at least like care about and it just does not let up for 30 seconds like yeah i was i was freaking out the entire time yeah so thank you for sharing that they do a good job of like dramatizing like safe space like you get to the passover dinner and then it's like everything seems fine it's like cut to arno is there Mm. and you're like oh Mm -hmm. fuck or like they go to the school play and it's like pans over and it's like the thugs are there and you're like i thought we were gonna relax for a second and like so it, I think yeah, our main takeaway is double feature Cats and Uncut Gems. <laughs> your local theater should do it. Once again, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know your thoughts on Cats after this, uh, especially if you know about like mating rituals, age of consent, <laughs> uh, whether magic is real for cats, if the Jellicles are a, a, a cult or just a group we should accept. Uh, movies at wisecrack.co is how you can email us. Voicemail 213-534-8807. We have been your Jellicle host, Amanda, Lux, I've been Michael, and thank you so much for hanging out with us on Show Me the Meaning. We'll be back soon. In the meantime, subscribe, like, rate, review, all those great things, and have a great week, everyone. Later, guys. Later, dudes.